with Authors fans, we have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance. With me today, as my co-host, who's probably not going to behave well, no matter what I try to do, is Valerie Willis. Never. And our guest today is James S. Pete. Woo! Welcome, Woo! James. Woo! Howdy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so to oh, be here. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. So let's talk about what we're drinking. So I am drinking in our new Drinking with Author swag. James, you'll get some of this for Ooh. being on the um, uh, show. I can use my words. Ooh. I am drinking, watch this, Val, this is how you say it, San Pellegrino. Yes, San Pellegrino, that's how you I say it. I never can say it right. I'm I sorry. It's just, I'm always going to hash every name, every, <laughs> anything that she, she not hear what she calls this. It's pronounced the way it's spelled, forget it. So this is called Momenti, and it's pomegranate and black currant, and I mixed it with gin, botanical gin, and it's pretty freaking amazing. Okay, Val, what are you drinking? I'm I'm still recovering from that whole champagne instance a few episodes back, so I'm just simply doing sweet tea today. <laughs> yeah, oh, wait you know, a minute! I got out of all this booze. Oh, you, <laughs> and you're you drinking don't sweet want tea. You don't want her on champagne. If you listen to that episode, it was a shit show because um, apparently she's never drunk champagne before. Had no. two glasses and was under the table in like ten minutes. It was terrible. Yeah. Wait, it gets and I get rowdy and and then I interrupt. I'm the interrupting yep. cow. Yeah. Well, so. I'm used to interrupting and being interrupted. So. Well, James, and I for that, though, what are you drinking on this podcast? Ah, well. As I mentioned, I just got back from skiing at a little place called Crystal Mountain Resort here in Washington State, and so I'm trying to hydrate. So first off, I I actually have a plethora of beverages on my desk here. Um, I am drinking Coors Edge because Ooh. it's non-alcoholic, and well, uh, I don't need to get hammered at two a two in the afternoon our time. And I have, of course, my obligatory REI bottle filled with water because Pacific Northwest REI. Uh, let's see. But my first drink of choice is Laphroaig out of Scotland. Ooh. Ooh. So, and it this is the ten year Scotch. So I like to show that. And of course, I'm drinking it in a Maker's Mark glass because I won the Maker's Mark in an auction or something like that. And I don't really like Maker's Mark because it's not Scotch. So, <laughs> oh. I don't like it. And to top it all off. It's not scotch. Oh, scotch, it, scotch, scotch, scotch. <laughs> I'm finally doing the sparkling ice. Uh, zero calories and, well, I don't do sugar, so I, I have to drink something. So I have this plethora of beverages here, and I'm sure I'll be drinking throughout the entire time. Oh, yes, I almost forgot. He's Johnny cool. Walker. Like I, I said, feel I just silly with my, my gin and my San Pellegrino now. I'm like, do I need to go up and get some bottles? I can do that. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay, so for the audience um, at large here who may or may not know your work, what do you write? Oh, uh, I write amazing work. Actually, it's okay. Yeah, I, I write in the multiverse or actually on parallel worlds. Um, let's see, the best way to describe it is imagine that you could open up a portal to a parallel earth and there are no other people there and it's all yours. What would you do? And so that's what most of my series is. I have four books out right now, um, three in what I call the Core of Discovery trilogy and one in the... Uh, Chronicles of Hayek trilogy with number two on the way for that uh, and wow. number four on the way for the other one. So you Very want to ask cool. a question. Um, when did you start writing? Um, I published my first novel in 2017. Um, the, but it was an idea that I've had for a long time. I mean, I was, I was not one of those kids who wanted to write or wrote all the time or doodled in their notebook or anything like that. I was more of the active type. Let's go camping. Let's go fishing. Let's go shooting. Let's go do something, you know, that doesn't involve sitting down other than reading, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wasn't one of those kids who wrote for pleasure, even though I was on the school newspaper. And one of my first jobs was as a cub reporter for UPI, um, covering the eighth Asian games in Bangkok when I was a high school student there. Wow. And but um, several years ago, as I would take the dogs for walks, I would just think about things. And because I read a lot of Heinlein and H.B. Piper and S.M. Sterling, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Harry Turtledove, all these guys who write, I just came up with this concept about what if there was like this couple that was in this organization that explored parallel worlds and they had to crash land and they had to come back. But to make it really interesting... I would have them come back to their location using the same route that the uh, Lewis and Clark Corps of Discovery expedition used. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, so that's the term Corps of Discovery. And it's about these, you know, young adults who join an organization, the Corps of Discovery, to explore these parallel earths, to open them up for settlement for other people. And so our protagonist names are Bill Clark and Mary Weather Lewis, or Mary Lewis, as she's known. Very so. cool. I like that. A cool concept. Yeah, she is. Uh, my my kids like Mary. They they're like they just say to, about Bill, Dad. All you did was write a fan fiction about yourself. And it's like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they're allowed to do that. I don't think I've ever heard. Yeah. I wrote a fan fiction about myself. <laughs> well, that's what the, you know, my my kids write fan fiction all the time, but they're just like they give me crap about it. So. I mean, yeah, the antagonist, I mean, our main protagonist is, you know, medium height with brown hair and green eyes, but, oh, wait. I was going to say, they <laughs> um, may be right. It might be right. I'm not sure yeah. what side I'm on right now. Um, so you didn't think about writing before and you started this journey. Um, how long from when you started writing till getting published? How long did that take you? Uh, that I would say a couple of years. And, well, just just the thinking process took several years. Mind you, I was thinking about it while I'm walking my dogs four miles a day and all that fun stuff. And uh, then finally, I, well, I was actually diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, they gave me 18 months to live. And I said, I don't think so. Oh, my uh, goodness. So I, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. This has been 10 years now. So well, well done on not falling well into that you're going to die in five minutes theory, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was really hilarious is that my urologist, it's prostate cancer, 
uh, when he told me about it, he was just like, well, the only good news I have for you is it's not in the bones yet. And I said, I'm going to get a second opinion. And so I did. And I went up to Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, see the greatest oncologist in the world type thing. You know, and it was sort of like, well, doctor says you're going to die. I mean, they literally said, yeah, don't even bother with that treatment because you're at quality of life stage. And I went, yeah, no, I don't think so. And so I went through an entire metamorphosis on diet. So where before I was a true meat and potatoes, I love my, you know, Big Mac kind of guy. Now I'm pretty much vegan almost, you know, and as my wife says, I am a reluctant vegan. So <laughs> I've changed my entire diet and uh, my PSA is uh, practically zero where before it was 254. And if you know anything about PSA scores, anything above four is cause for concern. Anything above 20 is in holy shit territory. And I was in the, as my physician wife said, I only had one person who had one even close to that and they're dead. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, so we're uh, we're following kind of a vegan diet. Uh, I do eat some meat and vegetables. And, I mean, some types of meats, fish and duck and, you know, dark meat. But no red meat, no sugar, no fun. So, well, but you're on, that on this prompted side of me the to actually though, write. So there's, you know, right? yeah. So that that's what actually set, caused me to sit down and start considering writing. So I probably started writing in 2015, I want to say. The diagnosis was 2013. Um, I've been busy with all sorts of other stuff, preparing for the CPA exam, which I never took because why bother if you're going to die, uh, and things like that. Um, and then I tried to, you know, not knowing anything about the publishing industry, all I knew was, oh, you write the book, you get it to a publisher who will you know, either vet it and say yes or, you know, throw it on a scrap heap. You know, more usually they're throwing on the scrap heap. And so I went to the Willamette Writers Conference with my first, um, it wasn't my first draft, actually. It was my completed novel. And a couple of them expressed interest, but then they all said no. And then I learned about self-publishing while I was at the conference. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Wait a minute. You mean I control the production? I control the marketing, and I control the profits. I like that. And so <laughs> I'm a control freak, and I, you know, what what can I say? 70% of, uh, you know, uh, of 1599 is, or whatever, is a lot better than 10%. Mm-hmm. So I jumped all over the self-publishing bandwagon. And it was kind of funny is my first book was actually half of the story that I had in mind. I was planning on writing the whole thing, but when I got to over 126,000 words, I was like, geez, I'm only halfway through. (laughs) And there was no way I was going to cut it down. (laughs) So I said, okay, it looks like I'm making it into a a sequel. So I went ahead and I self-published. Yeah, so I went ahead and I self-published the first one while I was writing the second one. And so I finished the second one, and I already had ideas for a third one and fourth and fifth. So I've actually been working on those, um, and I got the third one out. And it's rather interesting is that they're either you hate my work or you love it. You know, it's that's the truth. Uh, I, I don't any book I think is is <laughs> finding the audience right, and and then not every book is meant for every reader either, and vice versa. Well, no, that's exactly it. I mean. I have friends who publish books in crime and mystery and everything like that. And I'm just like, 
I don't like that stuff. I was a cop in real life. That stuff is. <laughs> but you were so, going to say. I was going to I was going to mention because you um, talked a little bit before we went on air. So you were a police officer previously. Among many things, yes. I was going to say, so let's go down a little bit of a list here because you've had kind of an adventurous journey, right? So where do we begin? And then we get to author. So let's let's do our our jumps here. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Condensed version of James Pete's bio. I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. Uh, actually, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, although, you know, I've never really been there other than when my dad died to go to Johns Hopkins while he died. Um, but my dad joined the, uh, government. And so we got to travel around the world on government dime for the first 18 years of my life. And so I got to live in Panama, Germany, Liberia, Laos, and Thailand and living in Panama. Of course, we were there during a civil war and living in Laos, we were there during a civil war. So I'm kind of used to civil wars. (laughs) You know, I don't recommend them though. And so uh, let's see, I first came to the U.S. really to live uh, when I was 12 years old, and we moved into a small town of Culpeper, Virginia, which was the quintessential southern town at the time. You know, with the, you ain't from around here, are you, boy, uh, mentality. <laughs> I mean, it really was. They, you know, the statue, the Confederate soldier facing away from the north, you know, the whole thing. I mean, even to the point where people would provide me with KKK literature in the school. Oh, you know, oh, not the no. teachers. It was just the kind of crap that went on in the 70s in the South. Uh, and it was nothing I could understand because I grew up in Africa and Asia and South America. You know, people are people. You know, we all have hopes and dreams and aspirations. And the only reason you shouldn't like somebody isn't because of their color, but because they're an asshole. You know, so. That's very true. So anyhow, uh, four years in Culpeper, I couldn't wait to get out. Uh, and we moved to Thailand. And that's a funny story is my dad actually had the opportunity to get a posting to Australia. But because I was in the middle of the 10th grade year, he didn't want to pull me out of the 10th grade. He moved to Australia and I blew a gasket. I'm like, do you know how much I hate this place? <laughs> you know, so instead we wound up going to Bangkok, Thailand. And you have to understand is that when I was living in Laos, going to the American School of Vientiane, the International School of Bangkok were our arch enemies. And now I'm going to ISB. (laughs) And I had the time of my life. I loved it. Uh, I fell in with a pretty good group. Uh, Matter of fact, I'm still friends with them to to this day. Um, One of them just borrowed my van and it broke down on him in Salt Lake City and I feel really bad. (laughs) But um, so I graduated high school. They gave me a one-way ticket back to the US and because I'd grown up in the tropics, I was like, okay, well, where, where can I go in the US? Uh, Hawaii is out because that's expensive. So South Florida it was, and I wound up in Fort Lauderdale, or as we called it back then, Fort Liquordale, because of all the uh, <laughs> spring break stuff. And uh, unlike the COVID-20 and the freshman so. 20, yeah, uh, you've heard of the freshman 20, like the COVID-20 we've all put on. Well, my freshman 20 was actually the anti-freshman 20 or the freshman anti-20. Um, I didn't have enough money to eat or anything like that, so I lost 20 pounds my first year of college but got an army scholarship. So transferred to the University of Miami and where I was doing pretty good until my dad got cancer and died and then my grades tanked and I lost my scholarship. And with two classes left to graduate, I dropped out of college. Wow, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. 
Um, and what I became was a park ranger with the National Park Service doing the whole seasonal and temporary stuff. I went through the um, National Park Service Seasonal Law Enforcement Training Academy in Santa Rosa, California. So I became uh, certified to be a National Park Service Law Enforcement Ranger, which I loved. And I was offered a full-time position, and I was stupid, and I said, I need more experience. What was I thinking? Okay, here's a tip, folks. Anybody offered a job with the NPS, do not think. Just say yes. Go. It is the greatest job I ever gave up. I mean, I, I regret it to this day. You know, but life is like that. You have lots of regrets. You make stupid decisions, and you live with them, and you move on. Um. So for a short time, I worked at the Smithsonian Institute uh, while I was looking for full-time employment as a police officer because one of the parks I had worked at, my manager was like, you're more into law enforcement than you are education, so maybe you should be a real cop. And so I became a cop in Alexandria, Virginia, and I lasted about three years. It is not a job for the easy, uh, faint of heart, or those who are timid. And, uh, well, I was not timid. If anything, I'm a little aggressive at times. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I realized it wasn't for me. I got that book, What Colors Your Parachute? And I determined that what I wanted to do was teach, which is kind of funny considering my previous supervisor had said you're more of an enforcer than an educator. Oh, wow. And the really <laughs> – but I don't like kids. So if you don't like kids, where do you teach? Um. Well, the college technical schools. I was going to say exactly. Yeah. Well, me thinking, oh, well, I I guess university. So that requires getting a PhD. No. So, but one of the funny things about that is I remember my corporal one time asking me, we're sitting in the middle of the project surrounded by, you know, just poor living conditions, just not nice. And he's like, so James, are you glad you became a cop? And I just turned and I looked at him and I said, Ray, I wish I had let, never left the park service. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how I felt about it. So anyhow, uh, I left. I, I quit police work. I moved to California. I worked for about a year living with a uh, friend of mine from college and uh, got into Cal State Hayward for my master's program in geography. Oh, by the way, I meant, forgot to mention, I did finish up my degree as a guest matriculate while I was a cop. Yeah, I'm not stupid. I didn't just leave school. I actually took a leave of absence. I did it officially. So, and they allowed me to do that. Yeah, so uh, fortunately, uh, Cal State Hayward had this wonderful uh, geography department chair named Herb Eater. And Dr. Eater was one of those guys who was a firm believer in second chances. And he saw my grades, which had tanked. I mean, I graduated with a 204 um, because oh. when your dad dies, when you're 21 years old, it kind of mentally messes with you. Oh yeah. So, and well, yeah. so did ROTC at the time. So he let me in and I did well enough that I got admitted when I applied to PhD programs of the five program, no, four programs I applied to, I got into all except for the worst one in the nation. Uh, oh, wow. Which I thought oh. was funny. That's ironic. <laughs> yeah. So I got in. Well, it was it was really hilarious. I, I'm, I'm like I got into a top ten program, into a top twenty five program, but the bottom one program rejected me. <laughs> so I moved up here to Washington. Uh, actually, before I even got admitted, because um, while I was at my best friend's wedding in Texas, I kind of met a girl, like in the wedding party, because I was the best man and she was the maid of honor, and she caught the bouquet, and my mother pushed her to catch the bouquet, and I fled from the room when they were tossing the garter because. <laughs> I was like single. I'm single. No kids. Single. <laughs> Don't like kids. 
So we're about to celebrate our 27th anniversary this month. Wow. <laughs> Next Congratulations. Week. Thank you. Yes, it's not always been easy, but it's uh, it's there. We have two kids. Um, my oldest is a EMT just starting. She is um, trying to figure out life. You know, she takes after her father, unfortunately. I wish she took after her mother, but... You know, she, my my wife had it figured out. 18, go to college. Uh, after college, go to medical school. After medical school, well, spend four years in the military and get PTSD, and then move on from there to uh, family practice. So, wow. Anyhow, youngest daughter just graduated from DigiPen Institute of Technology, which is the world's best school if you want to go into game development. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Uh, but it's just a phenomenal. You school. would have heard of it before I would have. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I uh, I I started a bachelor's in game design and development, and then realized my passion was more into the the books and the technical writing side, and kind of oh, okay there. And and similar to you, sir, it, it took cancer to a cancer scare to remind me that I I kind of wish I had finished or, or explored that book idea I had uh, back in high school and circled back that way. So I feel that, I feel that big time. Uh, and it's, it's crazy that sometimes life throws us curveballs like that to make us stop and take a breath and reevaluate who we want to be, uh, as Erica puts it, when we yep. grow up uh, at any given stage of our lives. So I, I resonate yeah, very much with that. Yeah, unfortunately, too many people are just too busy chasing a buck to think about what really matters. And you know, I was probably one of those, and it was just a wake-up call. Well, and, you know, we're as a society, it's actually interesting, because having done HR, and then after this, we'll take a quick break and come back, but having done HR for so long, I talked to high school students and college students and volunteered at those all the time, and you're told, get a good job, have it make lots of money, like you're not told to chase your passion. You're also not taught necessarily unless your parents do it, because schools don't do it, um, mm -hmm. that if you buy stuff, like you want that car, that's great, except for now you're beholden to that car. So if you do want it, like you get a high paying job, if you do want to change what you're doing when you want to grow up again, right? It's not easy because most of the time you have to start again at the bottom, right? But you've made bills, house bills, car bills, whatever bills up to this level. So you, you're stuck. So I always tell people, I'm like, you know, get that, get a cheap car. If you need a car, do, you know, don't go buy the biggest house in the world and find a way so that if you do decide you hate what you're doing, then you can do something else, you know, that, and I think that we don't teach um, kids enough that, like, they think they have to go out and get this job and get this whole thing, and oh, it's really cool, I want to have this new car, but all of a sudden your car lease is $700 a month, so now you have a car that you have to pay for all the time, you know, and now you have to have a job to pay for that car, and then pay for that insurance, and then pay for that house and pay for all these electronics that you have and blah, blah, blah. And it, you just like, it spirals so quickly. So it, yeah, no, I, 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 go ahead. I, I agree with you 100% so much that with my kids growing up, I've always told them, you know, don't buy anything that you don't need. Don't buy a house that you can afford Buy a house that will fit your needs. You know, um, their fortune is that their grandmother recently passed away and left them each with a sizable chunk of change that when they turn 30, they'll get it. And they can actually draw on part of it now because it's in a trust. 
And my oldest actually called up the uh, people today now that she's actually working again. And she says, yeah, don't uh, don't send me money. Just leave it there. Smart. Oh, very smart. So yeah. you did the right thing. Moment, I'm sure. <laughs> and I, you know, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. But I agree. I think it's something all parents need to take on because otherwise your kids get in a ton of debt and can't change what they want to be when they grow up. Um, we will right. be right back with Drinking with Authors. listeners you know me eric lance you're just listening to me in the podcast that you have but guess what i'm doing something new yeah she's joining me mark muncie the author of the erie florida book series in erie appalachia and we are hosting a new podcast called erie travels Woo-hoo! erie travels which covers things like ghosts cryptids weird stuff ufos men in black all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. You keep saying scotch, and all I hear in my mind is Ron Burgundy going, scotch, scotch, scotch. <laughs> Room hey, smells it's like the gods. leather-bound books and rich mahogany. Um, so, okay. So it's funny but, you don't add in the cigar smoke. <laughs> but, oh, I do love a good cigar, though. Okay, but let's talk a little bit about, um, so you decided to self-publish, right, versus control, and I think self-publishing is absolutely for some people. I, you know, but you just have to be willing to do all this stuff. And a lot of people who, <clears throat> as a control freak myself, I understand this. When you're a control freak, you have to be willing, you know, you have to go, I don't want to leave anything in anyone else's hands. Cause it can be more frustrating regardless of profit amount doing that if you want to control everything. But what was the first thing that kind of shocked you when you went, that's it, I'm going to go do self-publishing? Like, what surprised you that you weren't anticipating? Um, everything. <laughs> it, was, it all hit a mound in the left field. <laughs> well, you know, when you don't know anything, you don't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, you know, I had already uh, gotten an author, I mean, an editor, and she was a copy editor. I'd already been through beta readers. Um, who had helped me winnow my book from 126 to 102,000 words. Um, I still miss some of those parts, though. I, I like those parts. Um, but it was, you know, cover design, formatting your books, uh, trying to get it out there, getting those first reviews. Where do you advertise? You know, how do you connect with people that want to read your book? Um, and I've come up with the kind of philosophy is that I write in a kind of specialized genre parallel worlds, alternative history. There are not a whole lot of authors writing that kind of work, but you have a fan base. You know, if I can tell you right now, my fan base, if they knew about me, would be like those who read S.M. Sterling, you know, his Conquistadors, Lights of Fire, or, you know, Island and Sea of Time series. Um, John Ringo with the 1632 series. 
Uh, if they like Harry Turtledove, H. Bean Piper, um, and there's an author out there, S.M. Anderson now, who's written something similar. Uh, See, a lot so, of these people you've mentioned have been on our show, so we know exactly who you're oh, talking exactly. about. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and they were on, and they were on, and they were on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, and and uh, like even um, a friend of mine, Kevin Eikenberry, has just uh, published one of the um, parts of the 1632 series. He did a book called The Crossing. So oh. here's a plug for Kevin. Uh, but yeah, it was like all of these things. Uh, cover design. Who knew that that much went into cover design? Oh, and that, and it yeah, so and it's like you know, weight, so much weight on how successful you are on certain vendor sites. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. it's so nuts. But my first cover, I I had my daughter actually do the rough draft on it because she was this was before she started her uh, getting her BFA in digital art and animation at Digipen, and so I sent it up to the artist in Vancouver, BC. And I didn't realize how expensive that was. And that was clearly at the very early beginning stages of my you know, learning curve, because I paid over $2,000 for the artwork, um, which, yeah, there's an indie. Oh, my God. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Remember, learning curve. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to pull up my cover. Please I mean, it's a piece of art that you have the full rights on. It, it, it can, it can, it can, it can skyrocket. Yeah. Let's let's do the. Well, the, I, I don't have, I, I don't have the full rights. I only have the rights for publishing the books and for you know marketing, uh, posters and things like that. So okay. I can't put it on cups or mugs. So this is the original one. I'm, oh wow. Which. Oh wow. Remember the theme of the Corps of Discovery and Lewis and Clark. Yeah. If, you, if you've ever been out west and you've seen the trail signs, I want you to look at the uh, drawing of the two protagonists here. It's based yeah. on those signs. Very cool. So, and this is, this is the last one I have of this copy, and somebody actually ordered it. I'm just waiting for the money to come in before I send it to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, you know, I was like, I can't afford that kind of money for every one of these books. And so I started looking around. I found another off. Uh, artist in South Africa and she did the work but it was like it's okay but I don't really really like it that much it looks kind of cartoonishy and campy um and I mean for what I paid it was inexpensive uh and she did okay work it just it wasn't where I wanted it to be mm -hmm. and um yeah I, I have one buried here I'm not going to pull it up because Let's just say that I like her. I like her work. I like how fast she got things done, but I'm happier with the newer covers, you know, just because I have a new artist. But so yeah, that was the big one. Cover? That. What, yeah, what is the what's new that? Where's the new one? Oh. Us? We need both. I mean, if you're yes. sharing. We want to uh, YouTube we, episode. We like it when people share. This is the advantage of those who are watching us on YouTube. They get to see all, all the things. Yeah, all the stuff things. I've done, including. Okay. Yeah, boxes stacked up in our real, office real quick <laughs> this is this is the cover for the third book that was originally done by the second artist okay compared to the next one. Oh my oh, god that's so yeah. much better yes exactly uh yeah. this one was acceptable i mean it had everything i wanted on it but it wasn't where i wanted it to be exactly and i 
felt that the artist probably couldn't expand beyond that. And so when I found out about this author, Keith Draws, by the way, is his uh, nom de uh, art, I guess. Uh, I love his work because uh, Keith will read the book and he'll say, is this, you know, what kind of cover do I think should be on here? And he came to the same conclusion I did is that having the flying car shooting at the uh, German freighter was the best cover. <laughs> you know, concept. Awesome. So, but um, uh, bear with me for a second because they're all buried here. That's okay. It's your it's podcast. Okay. It's okay. Uh, we will wait for you. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do here. All righty. Authors. Yes. Okay. Here we go. The new surveyor cover. Oh, wow. Ooh. So That's you've got awesome. the Smilodons, the plane crash, all that fun stuff in there. Yeah. So I, I love this cover, clearly. And the follow-up one, I don't have the original because I've sold out of all of those, but this was the second in the series. Ooh. Nice. I like it. So... Yeah, that's uh, I, I love his artwork, and uh, I will continue to use Keith. He is far less expensive than the first artist, but twice as much as the second. But I like the work. Well, but yeah, so to Val's point, a, a cover sells a book. You know, like that's just the truth. You have to have good covers on your books. Yeah, you it's know? like you can't judge a book by its cover, but they do. They do. They do. Yeah. Marketing says otherwise. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh that's that was my biggest learning curve on that one. You know, and trying to find that price point that is you're still making a profit. Mm -hmm. Um and this is not a full time job for me. I mean I have a full time job. Uh I do financial crime investigations as my own self employed forensic accountant. So um, so what is that like? Because you, you have the word forensic. So everybody automatically, I think, goes to CSI. Dun, dun. You know, like law and order. Things. But that's not quite what forensic accountants do. So what does a forensic accountant do? Well, we don't see Marge Hel Hel Hellenberg Helgenberger, uh, <laughs> the redhead from. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but forensic just means for the court. Uh, that's all it really means. So um, anytime they, somebody th throws out the word forensic, it means that their work could actually be used in litigation, either in a civil or a criminal trial. So the kind of accounting I do is a little different than most. When most people think of accounting, uh, the way I like to describe it is there are three things. You have an accountant, uh, you have a bookkeeper, an accountant, and an auditor, and then to follow them all up, a crime, uh, fraud examiner. And I am a certified fraud examiner, uh, but the bookkeeper just enters stuff into the books. You know, they maintain the double entry book so that you know, everything's there. The purpose of the accountant is to understand the laws as they relate to accounting and be able to apply them in the bookkeeping and to ensure that the records are maintained properly. Uh, the role of the auditor is to go in and review things to make sure things are being done properly. You know, for an example, you know, let's say you're working in a factory, the accountant will say, oh yeah, we got 1,200 widgets in. Well, the auditor will go out and say, okay, do we have 1,200 widgets? One, two, three, so that's what they do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, it's like, do we have 1,200 boxes of widgets? Yes, we do. And they'll report that back to the accountant or whomever they're reporting to. And an auditor is an accountant too. They just specialize in 
perform these kinds of functions, auditing. Um, and then you have people like me who will go in and say, okay, good. Auditor says you have 1,200 boxes of widgets. The books say you have 1,200 boxes of widgets. Are there really widgets in all those boxes? Let's go check. <laughs> and so we start looking at the boxes. Oh, why is this box empty? Uh, and so in a way, that's what I do a lot of, but I don't go out there and physically check stuff like that. Instead, most of my work is related to financial matters. Uh, I do a lot of high-conflict divorce cases where men and women are getting divorced. We all know you know, marriage is an economic um, function. It is, it is not a – and it never has been – one of pure love and lust and all that fun stuff, because once you get married, you're economically tied together. And that's how it's been for centuries. Well, sometimes some people don't want to share everything. So they want to kind of like hide stuff <laughs> so that the other person doesn't know they exist. You know, and so my job is to ferret out, you know, number one, did they have the money? Number two, where did it go? And so that's what I get doing on those kinds of cases where I wind up helping, in most cases, women who would otherwise be screwed out of getting their, you know, what is financially theirs. Uh, for wow. example, I'm working a case right now where the husband's like, oh, I only have $2,000 worth of gold, but she's got a receipt from years ago and pictures. And I'm like, no, you got $7,000 worth of gold there. You know, but on the flip side, um, his, her father was saying, oh, we put his money into this money market account and it's worth this much and i'm like no you put it into an index fund and it's worth this much so that's where i come in and people will use me for mediation uh i have been hired to uh conduct financial crime investigations on small businesses uh, municipalities actually one of my most favorite cases and i love this one is a buddy of mine was hired to investigate a city manager of a small town in eastern Washington called Sela, which, interestingly enough, is where all of these books originate, is in Sela, <laughs> for a reason. Uh, I love the little town. But uh, the manager, city manager was accused of embezzling some funds. New mayor was hired, so they brought us in. You know, And because my friend, who was a CFE, didn't have the accounting education that I have, brought me in. So we go there, and we listen, and we're like, uh, Okay, you're talking $24,000. How many years ago? 10, 12 years ago? The odds of us finding anything are pretty slim. But this whole thing about him destroying records, now that's a different matter altogether. Oof. And wow. so our investigation morphed from $24,000 was missing seven or 10 years ago to a document destruction case, which in Washington state, if you destroy a uh, public document that should not be destroyed, that's a felony. Yeah. Oh, wow. And this includes emails. So, but the flip side on that is when you're talking about emails, you say, well, if this was part of an email conversation, is there anybody else in the uh, organization that has a copy of this email? If the answer is yes, then it's not destroyed, is it? Well, you know? Oh, that's true. But, so we brought in a digital forensics expert, forensics for the court, uh, uh, Gordon, and Gordon got in there with his little fancy, you know, whatever he does is digital voodoo, as I call it, and just started finding stuff. And I went through all the emails, and it was rather interesting is that their email server had a 24-hour turnover. So it had three servers. They were all set for Greenwich Mean Time, or UTC. And what would happen is on day one, whatever you entered was in the computer. 
if you, you know, next day and 24 hours later, all that stuff would transfer to the second server. So any changes you made the second day were not recognized in the second server, but were in the first. And it would continue to the third, where all that stuff that was three days old is now on server number three. The two-day-old stuff is on server number two, and the new stuff is on server number one. That's weird. Well, the city manager asked the uh, IT tech guy, oh, I need to wipe my files to get rid of everything. And the IT guy was like, saying to himself, not to the manager, you know, I don't think that's really right. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to, like, make a copy of it. He never told the guy. Oh, wow. So he did. And uh, when the guy left, uh, after he was kicked out as the city manager from the new mayor and the uh, detective uh, found out what happened, he immediately got a search warrant, saved the records. He, I mean, this guy made the case. <coughs> but then I got to wade through 9,000 emails. <laughs> and you have no idea how boring that is. <laughs> I just had to go through two six yesterday so i feel you <laughs> nine thousand that award <laughs> yeah so i went through all of those and i went through whatever else we had and i came up with uh we came up with a certain number of documents that we identified as missing oh by the way his quote-unquote laptop from his office was stolen keep that in mind <laughs> i'm doing exactly. quotation marks for you stolen Thank you. I'll do my little mini quotes. Yeah. Uh, so we managed to get a search warrant for his house now because we identified all these documents that should be on his flash drive that he should be in possession of because it's a personal flash drive. So the very night that this guy is just offered a brand new position, city manager for a small town, and he comes home and there's the police waiting for him. And they came out with the flash drives that we wanted. They came out with a laptop that had been stolen and a case of documents that were city documents. Oh, oh shit. wow. Not good. So once again, you know, Rich calls me the detective. He's like, uh, hey, James, can you uh, come on in and uh, take a look at these documents? And he knows that I live on the other side of the mountain. So it's like a two-hour drive for me. You know? Oh, wow. Uh, but luckily, I was on my way to uh, the Tri-Cities, which is Kennewick uh, area, to uh, – have a debate with the uh, local sheriff and actually it turned out to be his head of patrol on legalizing marijuana because I was a firm proponent of ending the war on drugs, having been a cop and seeing that people who are high do not get into domestic violence cases, unlike people who are alcoholics. So, um, by the way, I drink alcohol. I don't do marijuana. So just to be that clear, I can't stand the smell. (laughs) Well, that's why there are gummies. Woo-hoo, gummies. <laughs> um, I'm no okay, I will snorted Lafroy got my nose on that one. Uh, so anyhow, I swung by and oh yeah, this one's a city document, this one's a city document, this one's a city document. So we came up with eventually I want to say it was forty-two digital documents, two hundred paper documents, and hundred and fifty-two emails out of nine thousand. <laughs> that were destroyed improperly each one of those is a count each one of those is a class b felony which is punishable by up to five years in prison the guy served three days that's a really long time yeah i was gonna say i you know the one thing i have to say about some of these laws and then we're gonna get back to talking about writing because i don't want to use your entire podcast to talk about your other jobs but um one thing that i really hate as somebody who is 
um, research is a lot of true crime. I write about serial killers and stuff like that. Like I write horror stories. Yeah. Is it fortifies me the prison sentences for certain things, and then people can kill someone and they get three to five years. Or they could rip like, somebody off for millions of dollars and get off of the day or a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, our our laws are kind of wacky. Know? It's yeah, wild. Well, that's why I guess some of my thoughts on uh, government come out in my books, although not completely, uh, because it is speculative fiction. And, you know, it's kind of funny where people will slam me for being slash far right libertarian fantasy. <laughs> and I'm like, do you understand the difference between far right and libertarian? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like saying far left and libertarian. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> so. But yeah, yeah it's uh, but the upshot the upshot on that case was it was only the third time in state history we got a anybody got a felony conviction on document destruction. So, I'm proud of that case. <laughs> as so as we, you should be, my friend. As you should be after 9000 emails. Thank you, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Nine, oh. So, okay. oh, you, you that that's not we the same as going through 125,000. <laughs> okay, we're back to writing. Oh my God. See, this is what happens when hey, I drink. Back to writing. Back to writing. Let's talk about, yeah, no, let's, let's drink and talk about writing. So let's talk about your fans. So what, what was it like when you, so you, you posted the book up. What was it like getting okay. your first real review from somebody that you didn't know? Oh, it's exciting as all get out, except for the one star review. But then I laugh about that one. Uh, no, it, it really is. Uh, anytime somebody leaves a review, especially if it's a good one, and especially if you're compared to Heinlein or Del Rey or, you know, SM Sterling, it's just, it's, it blows you away. You're like, wow. Um, I mean, the fact is I got nominated for the Prometheus award this year. Do you nice. know who's been nominated for that thing? Yeah. Yes. I mean, Kurt Vonnegut, SM Sterling, Heinlein, uh, John Ringo. I mean, it's like this endless list of greats. And I'm like, what? You, know, you just can't believe it because you're like, I'm just like a little tiny writer here, just like a little brain thing coming out and just vomiting onto this, my Scrivener. Uh, so to actually be nominated for something like that and to have a you know, review where you're compared to somebody that you admire. Yeah. You know, as a writer, yeah. as a storyteller, actually. I, I don't like to be called a writer. I like to be called a storyteller because I'm telling a story. And as one of my reviewers say is, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, True. which, you know how some of those books are, they get, jump into the action. It's just action, 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 action. By halfway through, you're just exhausted. Um, my books don't leave you that way. But some people find them slow because they're written in the kind of, this is a story. This is life. You know, yeah. and I'm, I'm developing my characters to people you either like or don't like. You know, and of course, my characters are all, all my protagonists are just totally awesome people because of course they are. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great story, and, and you have to share it. Uh, yeah, yeah and, but the and, funny and thing is, is they also that. have. Oh, uh, I was gonna say we talk about that all all the time. That you know, don't worry whether or not your readers are gonna like or dislike the story that you want to tell, right? Because let's take Tolkien. Uh, everyone knows Lord of the Rings. It's all over the place, but you either love it or you hate it when you read it. Either you see this grand adventure and you're so about it, or you just like, would he stop? There's so much walking and so many trees. Like it's all in the type of reader you are. And I think a lot of authors will 
will create a writer's block almost in themselves, fretting over, well, what if the reader doesn't like what I'm doing or how I'm telling a story? Don't worry about that, baby. You write and tell your story the way that it it feels right. And then you will find the readers and the readers will find you uh, with the right right assistance if you have to, you know, get a marketing consultation and things like that. There's so much you can do in the aftermath, but don't derail your efforts. Um, you said you so just write believe- to an audience that you think exists, write your stuff and find your audience. Yes. That's, well, that's, that's exactly my philosophy. That, whatever that was, Erica. <laughs> You're welcome, Val. <laughs> Drunk Erica. Yeah, that, I mean, that, <laughs> that, that's literally my writing is uh, I write the stories I like. Um, and put it bluntly, I read my own work. You know, it, it, like after a year of publishing, I'll just sit down with the books and go through them. And I, you know, and that's when you find all the typos and everything like that, that still snuck through. But yeah, I mean, I think they're a good story and that's why I write them and that's why I like them. You know, well, and if it? other people don't. Yeah. Well, you're never going to please everybody. I'm very proud of my one star review, by the way. It makes me laugh all the time. So on one of the books, I, I think it's hysterical um, <laughs> because people aren't going to like it, but they bought my book. So go team, you know, Amazon verified. Exactly. I made money. You, you gave me money. Thank you. You can say whatever you want. Um, what about the, have you been able to meet fans in person? Have you done events where you've gone and signed books? I have done events. Um, are you, I presume you guys are familiar with the whole 20 books uh, to 50K group on Facebook? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you know, they have a conference every November in Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Correct. And it's 20 books Vegas. Well, I've been there and I've sold the books there at the table there where uh, I haven't met any fans because to put it bluntly, I'm so new, people don't know me. You know, and I've met future fans, as I call them, you know, and I've handed them out by books to other people and they're like other authors and they come back and they're like, oh, hey, this is good. I like this. You know, so it's always nice. Um, But I actually, you know, because I've got my uh, blog up, you know, jamespete.com, you know, Mm -hmm. people have contacted me that way. As a matter of fact, one... uh, reader who just ordered four books, you know, hard copy. So for her husband and her asked me, can you write out the recipe for this stew that sounded so good? <laughs> and so I wrote it out on the blog. <laughs> yes. Oh, fan interaction. And that's what a blog and newsletter comes in, right? Like it's sort of when you're not able to go to events, it's the next best thing for, for a reader to be able to reach out and being able to communicate with them and get that instant feedback or more intimate feedback with them is, it is so cool because every once in a while um, with mine, they'll be like, dude, this like I just finished X book and you totally put the Polish fairy tale in there of this X, Y, Z. So she's like, why didn't you mention it? Cause I try to mention, you know, you can find nuggets of research within the fictional world. And I'm like, well, I didn't think anyone would know that story. Like it's so old and it took me forever to find it. So it's kind of reassuring sometimes that I have found my audience and my audience has found me when I get stuff like that, that they resonate well enough. And I think that's cool that they reached out and wanted a <laughs> recipe from your story. That's that's pretty cool. That was one of my funner ones. Yeah, so yeah, it's like we were doing an email exchange and I'm just writing it down as we're doing this. So I just, you know, well, I also have a cookbook out. So um, I was, matter of fact, Okay. 
Oh my goodness, we have a cookbook author. There we go. There we go. All right. Now, long story short, because I'm very good at this, uh, not really. Um, seven years ago, my wife was involved in a really bad accident where a Douglas fir tree slammed down on her car. And we're talking uh, over four feet wide. Holy left Jesus. her with 19 broken bones, uh, left my daughter with a ruptured spine and ruptured intestines, and left my other daughter with a little glass scratch above her eye. I mean, oh, it was just like goodness. this total... Yeah, she was in the ICU for two weeks, the ACU for another week, assisted living for four months. And when she came home, I, uh, in her wheelchair with both of her arms and a cast, you know, I was like, uh, hey, would you like to watch this movie The Way? And she's like, what's it about? I said, let's just watch it. And the story is Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez and father and son, like in real life. But uh-huh. Emilio is killed doing the Camino de Santiago. And his father goes to collect his remains, but instead of going back to California, he has his son cremated and takes the son on the uh, Camino de Santiago. And so, yeah, it's a great movie, The Way. Um, And I love the music, by the way. I have it all loaded up on my iPod. And my wife said, I want to do that. And I said, okay, you have to learn how to walk. And we have a very long porch because I built the house. So she started walking up and down the porch. Then we started walking up and down the driveway. And then we started for longer and longer walks while her uh, right ankle healed. And then in 2018, um, our nephew in England was getting married. So we flew to England and we said, hey, let's just take a couple of weeks and do the Camino. Because you can do a small portion of it and still get the Compostela. She said, I want to walk across the Pyrenees. I said, okay. And so, uh, mind you, remember, I switched over in my diet at that point. I am no longer, you know, meat and potatoes, James. I am now the reluctant vegan. Okay. Finding vegan food in Spain is difficult. Here, you want your tuna salad? No, I just want a salad. Okay, here's the tuna salad. You want your vegetable lentils with pork? Just the vegetable lentils. Okay, here's your vegetable lentils with pork. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, It made it really interesting, so... You know, fortunately, like I said, I can eat cold water fish, so there was plenty of salmon around that I could eat. So I was like, every day was salmon and lentils and everything like that. But what came about was this book, Camino Eats for the Solo Vegan, which is, as you can see, it's a very thick book. It's actually designed for somebody to take with them on the Camino and provide uh, basically 11 different uh, suppers or entrees or I don't know what the Europeans call the last meal of the day but it's not an entree um, so that you only repeat your meal, you know, maybe twice during the entire 30 something days that you're walking the Camino. So that's out there and meat eaters will like it too, because you can throw in dead animal flesh if you're interested. <laughs> oh my goodness, and occasionally that. we do. Wow. You are, um, <laughs> but, you're, you're multifaceted there. Definitely. Yeah. So the, but I have to add this part to the story, which is that, uh, my wife and I have both done the full Camino, which is over 500 miles long now, uh, individually. But we've done short Caminos together. And on the first one, we were taking a low route across the Pyrenees. So we didn't realize it was a lot of terrain up and down elevation gain. We got to kilometer 10 and my wife hit a wall. So I had to carry her pack. And when we get to the room where the, uh, town where the uh, hostel or albergue was, there was a steep ravine we had to go down and all the way back up. And it took my wife a half hour to cover that distance, which is only about 250 meters, a very short distance. 
I mean, her ankle was that painful. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so we get into the albergue. Unfortunately, there was an ice pack in the freezer, so I slapped it on her ankle. I gave her my ibuprofen. I said, here, take two and call me in the morning. You know, there were four in there. And so I went and did some other stuff. And I came back, and I'm like, where's the rest of the ibuprofen? Because I needed something. She's like, I took it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. the next day, you know, yeah, she had been sitting there going, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. I'm like, yeah, you can. And so we took all the heavy items out of her pack, and we loaded me up, and my nickname uh, then became Sherpa instead of James. Or <laughs> no, I'm not going to say what she calls me sometimes. Uh, and so we got to the top of the Pyrenees, and I've got this great picture of her holding up her hiking poles up in the air. And then we crossed down the Pyrenees, and she collapsed. <laughs> but, well, hey, uh, you got the right picture, though, right? Right. Exactly. So quite thrilled about that. And so this came out and it's, oh, by the way, free plug. It's available in electronic format. If you want it, just email me. Very no charge. Nice. Okay. Well, guess yeah. what, my friend? It's... We are near the end of this podcast, which no! I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but um, it's shameless self-promotion time for you. How do people find you on social media and your blogs and your books and all that fun stuff. Okay. Well, I only have one blog. It's jamespeet.com. That's J-A-M-E-S-P-E-E-T. You know, just like the coffee, Pete's coffee. Only I'm not related. I wish I had their money, but I don't. So, uh, or you can find me on Facebook, uh, james.s.james. Correction. James S. Pete is on Facebook. There's two of them. There's my personal page. Don't send me a friend request, please. I am very closed mouth. And other than when I get on a blog like this, I have a very small friends list. Like I even don't accept friend requests from people I know. So I'm not going to accept it from people I don't know um, that way. But on my author page, I'm glad to interact with you and everything like that. They can email me by hitting the contact me link on jamespete.com. Uh, we're there. Let's see. I have an Instagram account. I know. Um, but that's for my fraud stuff, and I never pay attention to it, so don't even bother going there. I'm, yeah, as my wife says, I am a gregarious loner, so I'm just like <laughs> hold up here on top of my little mountaintop, you know, with my Lafroy and my Johnny Walker and my Coors non-alcoholic. By the way, they have outstanding non-alcoholic beer in Spain. I love it. Nothing like a walking 25 or 30 kilometers and having one of those. Very cool. So, uh, Unfortunately, I don't really have a uh, newsletter yet. I've never, re I haven't reached that stage because I'm still in the process of a book a year. I'm trying to pump that up, but my work and family and, you know, just the fact that I like to travel. I mean, I'm going to New Zealand in two weeks for six weeks. So, wow. Wow. yeah, it, it kind of takes away from writing, but it, if you okay. follow me, I, I do post, I, I post good recipes on Mastodon stew. <laughs> Very cool. Oh, I saw the pupper. Yeah, I was going to say, the puppy came and stretched for you for that. Looks like a demon puppy with a reflection in the eyes. Well, James, that's oh, that's okay. Fantastic. I've got. Go ahead. What's that? I was going to. Oh, I was, was going to say, I've just got a couple of Labradors. So, dogs. Are, I love dogs. Mine are English Shepherds puppies. Oh, okay. So, I just yes. see a white and black blob. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like a cow, but he's an English Shepherd. So, <laughs> but. Um, it has been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Thank well, thank you. you for having me. I'm, I feel honored. I mean, to be with all those other greats. 
Absolutely. I'm not a great yet, but I will be because I want your fans to like download all my books and give me great reviews. I have a saying, which is, if you don't like my book, just leave a four star and a good review. <laughs> I love it. If I you really it. don't like it, leave five stars and a great review. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. Um, I've been the host, Erica Lance. I've remembered my name. Um, my co-host today has been Valerie Willis. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And uh, hope to see you on the flip side. And we will see you guys next time. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the literary briefs edition. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today, who's being sober, is Val Willis, still not under control. And our guest today is, see, that's what I mean. Interrupting cow, woo! It's James P. Woo! See, that's how we do that. Welcome, Welcome James. James. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking real quick. Val's drinking stupid tea, so I'm going to skip her. I am drinking my um, San Pellegrino Momenti pomegranate and black currant with gin. I only have a little bit left, so that's going fabulous for me. She James, just wants to show up that she could pronounce it, and I can't. That's San all. Pellegrino. Um, James, what are you drinking? Well, currently, I'm having a little bit of uh, Johnny Walker Black Label. Um, I'd like to have the blue label, but this is affordable. And because I just got done skiing, I'm also hydrating with some non-alcoholic beer. And Very water and water. ice and I had a Lafroig. So yeah, I have a whole, t- I have a bar on my desk here. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay. You ready for some rapid just fire for, questions? Just for today. Yes. I'm ready. Today. Okay. What is um, your favorite book of all time? Tunnel in the Sky or Starship Troopers uh, with also a caveat, S.M. Sterling's Island in the Sea of Time and Conquistador. Conquistador is probably one of my favorites. Oh, and Michael Z. Williams. I have too many. Okay, uh, weapon. Yeah, no, you, you kept going. What about um, your least favorite? Um, probably anything by Jane Austen because I've never read any. <laughs> Only by yeah, I, I'm not. A, there, there are some people that absolutely love Austen. Again, that's that fan base. It goes so slow to me. I'm. It's painful. I cannot. I cannot do it. It's the worst thing in the world. I like pining, um, but but I have to have action in between. Yeah, no, it's too much. There's too many stolen glances. It drives me freaking crazy. Okay, what about um, your favorite book that was made into a movie or a TV show? Ooh, wow. Uh, Starship Troopers, which, uh, interestingly enough, I know that the book has one set of reality as it relates to politics, while the movie diverted and made it sound more authoritarian than it really was. I mean, it was just actually completely opposite, but it kind of followed the plot line. So I thought it was actually pretty good. Oh, I love Starship Troopers. It's cheesy as hell, but it, there are some very good moments in it. Um, what about um, least, uh, which, which one did they do bad at adapting from book to TV movie or, or Ooh. visual format? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I like them all. 
Um, so I, even, I even liked uh, how they ch- changed from uh, electric android to electric androids, dream of electric sheep, to the Harrison Ford movie, um, Rain Fry. Blade, Blade Runner. Sorry, I, I know the original title. <laughs> no, 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 um, that, that's fine. I, I was, I was trying to think. I'm like, which one is, uh, like, he's a sci-fi guy, and it's Harrison Ford. It's not going to be Star Wars. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> just combing my brain was combing through the tangles. <laughs> and I have to admit, I am um, not a big Star Wars fan, but I like the Star Trek movies. Well, I'm but I, I won't demean any of you. Who... My next question. Yeah, we're, we're not going there. I'm the host. We're definitely not going there. Um, oh, if you like it, it's your enjoyment. About, it's um, not... That's true. What is a weird food combination that you like being a, a um, you know, uh, a, a vegan? That's, <laughs> is there a weird food um, combination that you eat that you enjoy? Well, there's one that my wife really hates when she sees me eating it. It's a mayonnaise what sandwich. What is that? Mayonnaise you just slather mayonnaise on a, the bread. A mayonnaise sandwich? Like yeah, and they have vegan mayonnaise, so it's really good. <laughs> so it's just like mayonnaise. The, it's just, just the closest mayonnaise. I get to that is probably my tomato sandwich, where it's just mayo, salt, pepper, and tomato slices. Oh, right. Well, no salt, no pepper, just mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah, it's something I've loved that, this, since I was a kid. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Other stuff that I like that's kind of weird. Uh, well, I love sticky rice, uh, even if it's been like cooked three days prior. We used to go backpacking in Thailand, and we would just take sticky rice and put it in the Ziplocs and nosh on it on the way. That's fair. I I make uh, I used to make those all the time as a kid, and there's some cinnamon on it. Oh, it's the best. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's see. What's uh, what piece of advice would you give, or uh, a tool, a self, someone who wants to self-publish should go in knowing that you wish you knew going in. Learn, find out how to self-publish before you start the process. Get into twenty books to fifty k to learn. Uh, do not pay money to learn how to self-publish. You know, um, you you don't need a course on how to self-publish. You just need to learn how to do it. Uh, and I'll say I, that that's the biggest thing. Learn, read, study, learn, you know, educate yourself, watch YouTube videos. Uh, that's the best thing I could recommend and get your ass in the seat, your fingers on the keyboard and write. I love it. Um, let's see what, if you could be any kind of mythical or fantasy cryptid creature, which one would you be? unicorn that is the second person that's the unicorn this is amazing well i'm irish so you know we all have our unicorn song you know and so of course i could be with the green alligators and the geese and all that for the record i own land in ireland now so i am a lady of ireland oh excellent just for the record my friend bought me some land My my daughter's first adult beverage was in Dublin. And when she was a teenager, she was always like, I want to have my first adult beverage in Ireland. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. But because of our nephew getting married, we took a side trip to Dublin, and she had her first adult beverage in Dublin. That is awesome. Very cool. But I want to be um, a rainbow. Uh, I, by the way, I, I do want to be a rainbow farting unicorn. 
course. Well, those are the best kind. I mean, let's be yeah, honest. I mean, just, just like in Deadpool. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I have the de I have a Deadpool costume, and I'm not going to discuss what Ooh. I used it for. Uh, so <laughs> no need. The imagination's there already, and I got a vivid one. <laughs> yeah. So um, here's a good one. What is your favorite um, outfit to wear when you're writing? Like, what is your what sets your mood? Well, it all depends on the time of day. If it's morning, it's either boxers or, <laughs> you know, just PJ Bottoms. I don't really have a special outfit. I have a tendency to wear the same damn thing <laughs> practically daily. Uh, you know, if not the same clothing, the same attire, you know. It's, well, today's different. I was skiing, so I have on my ski attire still. But usually, like, a long sleeve merino wool shirt, and I don't have any special stuff. I just dress casually. My wife says I look like a bum, you know. I go into town, that I wear my Carhartt jacket that's Pajamas like 20 years old. Uh, do you need, so. um, do you have a writing ritual? Like, do you have to have a certain beverage, a certain snack, certain music, certain place to sit, or do you move around? Well, every, uh, I've got my Scrivener loaded on my desktop, so I have to sit at my desk to write. But I also have a, a little uh, mini trans, uh, mini laptop, uh, a Zeus mini transformer, I think it's called which I travel with, and that's I also write on that. So if I've got free time, I just sit down and write. I mean, I was in Hawaii. I sat down on the lanai in the morning when the rest of the family was sleeping and knocked out a couple thousand words. Um, one time we went to, I forget which building it was, uh, somewhere in New York, some big tower that everybody is like in some movie or some, multi, you know, the, uh, the Marvel Empire Universe State movies. Building? No, it wasn't the Empire State Building. It was a different building. I'm trying to think of the and, uh, Rockefeller, Rockefeller Center, I guess, maybe? Yes. I don't know. But uh, because I habitually carry a Swiss Army knife, they were like, well, you can't bring that up there. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back to the hotel. Or you could throw it away over there. I'm like, no, I'm not going to throw it away just to visit your building. You know, and I had my laptop, so I just grabbed a table in the cafe and wrote while the family was on tour. There so, you go. I, I, I guess, I, like, cool. Louis Lamour's. Like Louis Moore said, he could just sit down and, you know, plop down in the middle of the street on Fifth Avenue and write, and I can do that too. You know, mainly, as I mentioned, I'm a gregarious loner. In other words, I don't like a whole lot of people, so I just sort of tune them out. <laughs> but I still stay aware of them because of my former cop days, so. Well, that's very cool. What about um, reading? Are you an avid reader or no? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Why do you say unfortunately yes? Because it takes away from my writing. <laughs> <laughs> do you write reviews? I mean, read? uh, sometimes I do. Uh, I usually only give the reviews to like uh, uh, indie authors who are, or authors who are getting slammed uh, inadvertently, such as, for example, uh, one book I read, uh, Robert E. Lee and Me. Uh, it was about a Southern boy who recognized that, oh, Robert E. Lee was really not that great person that everybody's told about. You know, and he was getting slammed by a bunch of people because, you know, Robert E. Lee is, for all intents and purposes, one of the gods of the South. And so I wrote him a review. You know, I, I loved, loved his book. I just got done reading A True History of the United States of America. Um, and I'm tempted to leave a review on that one, even though I didn't buy it. I checked it out of the library, which is, okay, good. Well, you know, if you're writing a historical, you know, book, you should be rather objective. And it was clear that once we got into modern politics, this author was anything but objective, which in my mind detracted. You know, um, 
interestingly enough, I am not a conservative. I am not a uh, liberal. I'm not a Republican. And I'm not a Democrat. I'm one of those people who actually thinks and will not just b- abide by the party line. Uh, closest we can come to me is anti-authoritarian. Uh, but I read a lot of history. Um, one of the greatest books, actually, that I read recently was the, um, uh, uh, yeah, Colin Woodward's book on uh, North America. Um, uh, it's not coming to me. Joel Garreau's book is coming to me, The Nine Nations of North America, which was a precursor to this book, which explained the history of the different cultures that we have in the United States, which I incorporated in my book, Explorer, which is talks about how what would happen if the South legally seceded from the Union, and there was no uh, war of a rebellion. What's that? I said those what if questions always make for the the best stories or most intriguing stories. Um, Let's see. What tropes do you find that you you like to read or favor? I know we've talked uh, in the previous podcast that the tropes that you typically write to uh, seems to be like time travel, multiverse or or so. So what other tropes do you find yourself resonating to? Well, I, a lot of alt history, uh, as you can imagine, um, space opera. I enjoy a good space opera. Um, all, let's see, I was going to say World War II. Yeah, I, I like to read uh, military fiction. Okay. Um, let's see, what else do I like to read? And it's, uh, I'd have to go upstairs and look at, oh, uh, John Grisham's type work. I love his stuff. And Clancy, that kind of a work. So, but I'm not into mysteries, interestingly enough. I have one of my best, uh, one of my friends from police days actually wrote a book called Apprehension, which is a police procedural book, which I enjoyed. But for the most part, um, I'd say the only type of mystery I got into was J.A. Jance. Um, so, yeah, pretty, pretty limiting, I guess. I read a lot of social stuff and history and economics for fun. <laughs> I know that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> No oh, well, I read a lot of mythology and ancient history and old folklores and, and stories. So I totally get the same expressions from my friends. Don't worry. It's it's not just you. Uh, if you well, you read the same down, stuff my wife does. So <laughs> if you could sit down with anyone, uh, dead or alive, who would you love to sit down and, and pick the brain of or talk to? H. Bean Piper. Oh, why? He's, for all intents and purposes, after uh, Samuel Clemens, the father of parallel universes. You know, and how did he come up with this idea in the first place? I mean, his Paratime series, Lord Calvert of Otherwen. You know, why did you commit suicide when you were just starting to become successful? You know, that kind of a thing. Wow. So, the world is a far worse place without him. Very cool. What about um, where? So you've done a ton of traveling. Where's your favorite place that you've traveled to? Oh, um, I love Switzerland. Uh, Laos was just phenomenal. Um, I love Southeast Asia. Uh, let's see. There's only a couple of countries I haven't been to and a couple I've been to illegally. Um, but we won't talk about that. No, let's not do that on a public record. Um, no. <laughs> uh I think, you know, probably Europe, Switzerland would be one of my favorite places. Um, I'd love to go back to Austria. 
you know, I'm going to New Zealand, so maybe next you know month my favorite place will be completely different. <laughs> but I still have places to go: Australia, Southern Africa, Eastern Africa, all those places. If you if you could pick one that you want to definitely like the dream destination that you would go to, what would it be? Oh, I'm going there next week, New Zealand. New Zealand. This yeah. is a place. Ever since I read Leon Uris's Battle Cry, um, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand, and I've always found an excuse not to. And so finally, my wife and I said, we're going to New Zealand. We're going for six weeks. We're going to rent a camp, camper van. We're going to travel. We nice. bought the tickets. We rented the RV. And then this flu came out of China. And tickets were, everything was paid for in December. The trip was planned for April of 2020. <clears throat> oh, Guess what travel insurance doesn't cover? Oh, that hurts. Wars and pandemics. You know, so I uh, was I'm going to Ireland and Scotland in August. I had that trip planned. Um, because it was supposed to be for my um, anniversary and we had it planned for uh, June 2020. Mm. And we got the tickets in January. So that happened. Then literally, I was like, okay, things were starting to lift. Bought the tickets again. That's when Delta hit. I was like, <laughs> did it again. Uh. Omni hit. And I was like, that's it. I'm just not buying the tickets myself anymore. So I made a friend that's our travel buddies buy the tickets and I paid it back because I'm like, something about me purchasing the tickets is okay causing... don't buy any tickets for the next two weeks <laughs> yeah, exactly. no tickets will be bought i'm backing away from that because obviously that's a dangerous dangerous thing so um what is it like the first time you signed one of your books to somebody uh it was kind of weird um i don't get the whole author signing thing i never have uh so when somebody asked me to sign a book i was like huh so, yeah, but now I do it and I leave a little um, blurb. One of the lines in my novels are um, that are common throughout is uh, stay safe out there. And so when I sign a novel to a book, you know, it's like to John, stay safe out there, or James. And, you know, just a little blurb. The little blurbs are always amazing. Okay, Val, final question. Final question. Oh, uh, no. Let's see. As writers, we know that every book we write, we get a bad habit or there's a bad habit that we have as writers that we just can't seem to kick or it evolves over time. So what is your bad writing habit that you have to catch yourself on? Oh, I, I've actually stopped trying to catch myself on it. And my editors finally stopped trying to pull it out. You know, um, I, I use the word, I, I forget the exact word. It's something like really a lot. You know, I, I use this one word a lot, apparently. And I've actually started to modify that a little bit, but we now have a saying is that when you go to edit, she's like, I've given up looking for these words. You're just <laughs> going to use them. I know you're going to use them and you're not going to change it. So that's my bad habit is that one bad word that I use all the time. And I can't even remember what it was. Uh, if I were to pull up my emails and go look for it for my editor, I'm sure I can find it. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time, James, where do people find you oh, in your books? Wait. Before promotion time, the word is actually. Actually. I just remembered that. Yes. Actually, actually, I just yeah. remembered that. See, mine <laughs> so, but realized. actually, if you want. <laughs> yeah. Mine is Finding me. Uh, 
Oh. Social media, you can find me at jamespeet.com. That's J-A-M-E-S-P-E-E-T, just like the coffee or the boot dryer if you're a skier, um, .com. Uh, and if you want to email me, you just go to my uh, blog, hit the contact me, and I'll be glad to respond. Um, if you say something nasty or snarky, don't be surprised if you get the response like that. If you say something nice, I'm generally a nice guy. But remember, I'm a former cop, and I put up with a lot of shit, so... I can sometimes pull a Larry Correa, if you will, you know, which is you're nice until somebody's nasty. <laughs> but I've never had any. Well, actually, I've had one. See, actually, I've had one person, res, you know, send me a snarky email, and that's it. I don't respond snarkly. I oh, like people. One should sometimes. <laughs> well, James, it's been fabulous having you on the podcast with us. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I'm usually not drinking at two in the afternoon, but I, as I told my wife, this is business. Yeah, I was going to say, the one thing I strive to be is a bad example. So well done joining me in that. Uh, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs edition. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today has been the amazing Val Willis. Be sure to share, like, and subscribe and punch those buttons and tell your friends about us. Absolutely. Our guest has been James Pete, and we will see you guys next time. Woo!